Hello and welcome to the Chorus and the Chaos podcast. My name is Jack and I've got a little bonus episode here for you today uh, focused around John 3.16, a very, very wonderful verse. But specifically what I want to talk about is why John 3.16 does not refute or disprove or contradict Calvinistic theology or Calvinism. I've been a Calvinist for 20 some odd years and I've heard all kinds of reasons as to why people are opposed to it. Uh, but probably the most common rebuttal I get is someone throwing John 3.16 in front of me as a, as a proof text and saying, well, Calvinism can't be true because of this. Uh, so I thought I would spend a little time here, not too long, and give you three reasons why that doesn't work for me, why I think John 3.16 is completely in line with the doctrines of gay, grace or Calvinism, uh, the practice of God's sovereignty and election and all these things. Um let me go ahead and read the verse. Just I th- I'm sure everyone listening to this has heard it at some point, but if not, you are in uh, in for a treat because it is a wonderful, wonderful verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Beautiful, beautiful verse. So number one, I got three reasons here that I'll kind of elaborate on three-ish because I'll, I mean, we'll try and avoid rabbit trails here, but uh, three-ish reasons why that doesn't work for me. And I'll, and I'll say that these were specifically reasons for me. I think there are a lot of reasons that someone could read this text, read you know the Gospel of John and say, well, Calvinism, this doesn't negate Calvinism because of this, 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 and this, right? Uh, I'm giving you the three things that were impactful for me specifically. Number one, the word world in John 3.16 may not mean what you think it does. So if you examine the word world there in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the Greek word translated to world there is a Greek word called cosmos or cosmos. I've heard it said both ways, K-O-S-M-O-S. And it's generally, when you look at this word in the Greek, it tends to be translated, you know, seven or eight different ways. Uh, Thankfully, we can rule out uh, most of these pretty quickly. For example, one of the translations of that word, that we see in scripture and extra and, and uh, outside of scripture of the word of the Greek word cosmos is the universe, the physical universe. And we know from the message of scripture that we can pretty much rule that out uh, for God. So loved the world or the universe, the creation of the universe that he gave his son. God does love the world. He loves his creation, but we know that Christ didn't come to die for primarily for his creation, for the universe, the heavenly, you know, the stars and everything out there. We know that Christ came to die for sinners and to redeem a people for himself we would all agree on that as Christians. So for example, there are a number of these that are like that, that we can rule out. And when you get to the, to the ones that make sense, there's really only two options that I think we can, we can look at the word cosmos or world here in the text and say, well, it's gotta be one of these two things. Um, just kind of with common sense, uh, Christian common sense. Uh, the first one translation being, uh, the word world here, meaning the ungodly multitude or the whole mass of man or the, the entirety of the human race, of mankind, right? All people everywhere. Or the second option, this will be the one that I'll argue for. The word world here doesn't mean all men everywhere. Rather, it means an aggregate or general collection of particular people groups. And what I mean by that is Jews, Gentiles, for example. Uh, These are different, the distinct people groups from one another. And I think uh, based on the context, and I'll get into why, that that's really what John is saying here in his gospel that Jesus was referring to or what he meant. Um, and and why do I say that? Well, let's think about who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a devout Jew, very, very devout Jew, an educated Jew. 
And Nicodemus would have stu- would have understood up until this moment that salvation belonged to the Jews. Salvation came through the chosen people of God, that salvation was from the Lord through the nation of Israel. And the Gentiles, being a distinctly different people group, were generally considered to be outside of that covenant relationship. And the words spoken by Jesus here in John 3 then, they would have been revolutionary, or at least shocking for the Jewish audience at that time, because Jesus is explaining that salvation is no longer limited to the Jews, but now it's been expanded to the world. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus. And, and so you could read that as, for God so loved all types of men. Uh, or, as the same author wrote later in uh, the book of Revelation 7-9, men of every, quote, men of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Again, it's this idea of defining people groups. And I think we see evidence in Scripture here and elsewhere, and I'll give you a couple other examples, that John thought about uh, this way, that the part of the message of the gospel of John was an extension of salvation outside of the people of Israel. Uh, an example of that would be John eleven fifty one through 52. Uh, John writes, Jesus would die for the nation, speaking of Israel, but not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Again, it's that same type of messaging, right? Salvation is moving beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. It's now for the world. And uh, finally, one other quick verse I'll cite here, just as we move on to kind of quickly before we move on to number two. John 17, this is Jesus's high priestly prayer. Uh, John uh, records Jesus as saying, I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus praying to the Father. So again, you see a distinction there. Um, you see a distinction between the world and the lost world, like the, the, I'm sorry, the believers, right? So you see Jesus even distinguishing between that. And I think as we look at John 3.16, that, that makes more sense, at least it does to me, that when Christ says, for God so loved the world, he's really saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, God loves the world. He doesn't just love the Jews. He's here to save man, like the, all types of people, men of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Okay, number two, uh, for the second reason that I don't think John 3.16 refutes or uh, disproves Calvinism, uh, the phrase whoever believes or whosoever believes in him says nothing about ability. And, but I will, before I get into this, let me just say that whoever does believe in the Lord shall be saved. It's 100% true. Calvinist Arminians, we can shake hands on this, high five each other. It is fantastic. Christ will turn no one away who comes to him. And in the context of our overall objective, though, uh, thinking about you know Calvinism in John three sixteen here, I think the better question isn't necessarily who, but the how. And I'll get to that. So whoever believes says nothing about the ability. That would be my second point here. Scripture is clear elsewhere on man's inability to seek after God on his own. We are spiritually dead outside of Christ. Romans six eleven. And in fact, Romans 3 says that there is no one understands, there is none who seek God, uh, Romans 3.11. Dead men can't do anything because they're spiritually dead. We can't awaken ourselves to Christ. We can't um, just will ourselves to live. Think about Lazarus in the tomb. Lazarus was dead, completely dead. Christ walked in and said, Lazarus, rise, and he immediately sat up. It takes something outside of him for that to happen. Uh, and that's what we see John 6.44 uh, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up in the last day. 
Jesus is saying here that no one has the ability to come to Christ on their own. We are unable, unable to do it unless God should act first. Uh, so to say that John 3.16 in and of itself uh, forever loves the world, or sorry, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish to everlasting life. But whoever believes doesn't say anything about the ability. It's saying that whoever does believe will be saved. But elsewhere in scripture, we learn that the ability God must act first. Uh, and I'll, and let me read a little bit more there because there's some context here in that text, that John 3.16 uh, text that really adds to this. So we've read John 3, 16. I'll read 16 through 19 here. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, thinking about the word, the use of the word world there, to my earlier point, that the world might be saved through him, like every person of all time, everywhere, or is he saying people groups? Again, logically, it makes sense of people groups. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the, of the only son of God. And then verse 19, and this is what, right where I talk about ability for point number two, where I want to hone in. And this is judgment. That's what he says. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. So what, what we can see here in this text is Christ is saying, God loved the world. He loved all people. And whoever believes in him will be saved. But people love their sin. They love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light. So Jesus is saying, even though I'm here, they're not going to receive me. And we certainly saw that to play itself out. Uh, so whoever believes will be true. Uh, that is true. They will be saved. But Christ is saying no one can do it. No one's going to do it. It takes an act of God Almighty uh, to spiritually intervene to save. Uh, the third point I'll make is just quickly the atonement here. If we want to just look at John 3.16 as an atonement verse, which I often hear uh, that Christ died for the world. Like the, and I see this verse texted. Simply put, the atonement's not mentioned here. Um, John 3.16 doesn't say anything about specifically Christ paying for sins of specific people or a people group or the world. It's not what it's saying. It's speaking to Jesus's mission, why he's there. So to argue from this verse that Christ died effectually uh, in a salvific way for the entire world it's a leap of logic. It's just not there. You're saying something that scripture doesn't address in this place. And that's okay. We, we can go to other places in the Bible to do that, but we can't use John 3.16 to argue for the atonement. We can speak it to Jesus's mission. And in the context of the sentences of everything else Jesus is saying, he's saying God loves the world, but the world is going to reject him, right? Um, so it takes a savior to die in their place. And it takes God to act first for sinners to be saved. And if we approach scripture with an understanding that Jesus took the place of sinners, like thinking again back about the atonement, this would be a substitutionary atonement. We're then logically left with two options. Either all men are saved everywhere, and this would be called universalism. It's a heresy. It's not true. Or Jesus only died for some. Uh, he, sub, he, he was a, a, a effectual substitute for some. Any other interpretation of the substitutionary atonement just doesn't doesn't work with scripture, doesn't work logically, and there's a lot of things that don't really play out when we when we think about that. Because if God were to 
were to punish the sins for those whom, for whom Christ died, God would be unjust. So if Christ died for all sins of all people or, and then, but those people don't believe and then Christ, and then I'm sorry. And then the Lord judges them and judgment comes upon them. Why are they being, why are their sins being paid for by them? Didn't Christ die for them? So again, that's an atonement discussion. There's a whole other podcast there. And I think we'll probably get into it at some point about limited atonement or a, or a definite atonement. But specifically, to go back to what I was saying, John 3.16 doesn't really go there. Um, there's a, it, it's not what the verse is about. It's more about Jesus' mission and the response of humanity. Um, so in conclusion, two things I want to point out as I wrap up here. Number one, you may not agree with my, with my take. That's okay. Uh, if nothing else, I hope it drives you to Scripture. I hope it causes you to pray, talk to your elders, think through these things, pray through them. My ultimate desire is that we can, even if you don't agree with me, there is one thing that is very clear in this text. The beauty of John 3.16 is that God loves sinners so much that he sent his son to die. And that is a incredible truth, incredible, beautiful, beautiful truth. The other thing I want to uh, say here in closing, just as kind of a candle on the birthday cake, if you will, kind of a you know th- thing on top, cherry on top. Um, is refer back to Nicodemus. You know, there's several times in scripture where we see this play out where a person is mentioned and then they come up very passively later, right? Where you, you learn about them later. Scripture doesn't really say, well, Jesus had this interaction with Nicodemus and then here's how, here's what happened with Nicodemus. And then you, you know, you get a chapter hearing about Nicodemus, (coughs) excuse me. Um, Rather what'll happen is because it's focused on Jesus. Jesus is the center. We have this recorded interaction of Jesus and Nicodemus, and then later you get this kind of random mentioning of Nicodemus. And as you study scripture, you begin to connect these dots. You say, oh, that's really cool because he's here and then he's here. And we see Nicodemus come up a few times, but specifically I want to point out John 19, and I think this is really cool. Uh, This is right after the crucifixion, Jesus has died, and John 19.38 says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took his body away. And then John 19.39 says this, Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds in weight. And it goes on to say how they buried Jesus and the burial custom and such. But I think it's very cool. And there's um, that, that Nicodemus is doing this. And, you know, we don't see it specifically written out, but I think there's a pretty strong inference that Nicodemus, after his interaction with Christ, came to follow him and love him and was a was a devout follower of Jesus. So, so Christ came to save sinners. And he says this beautiful thing, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he sent his only son. Christ came for Nicodemus is what, what I think we can draw from this. It, it, it appears that way, right? That Christ loved Nicodemus. So Christ loves sinners. The Lord, Christ came to save sinners is a beautiful, just a kind of a, a cool little way that that John 3.16 text wraps up. So thanks so much. This has been Jack with The Course in the Chaos. I hope this has blessed you. I hope it spurs you to good conversation, draw pushes you to scripture. And uh, feel free to reach out to us if you have questions. Um, be happy to to field those. Uh, but if, you know, at the very least, feel free to talk to your elders, your pastor. You should always do that first. Thanks so much.